Ladies and gentlemen, this is Paused Reviews. Oh, welcome back one and all to the Pause Reviews Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, Tim. Yay! Welcome back, Tim. Thank you. Yeah, welcome man. back to podcasting. <laughs> yes. Oh, it feels right, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it's been a long <laughs> two weeks. It uh, really, really has. Like, I yeah. felt that one. Yeah, it was starting to bug me a little bit. I was like, you know, last week I was like, oh, that made sense. You know, went out of town again, just, you know, back up to my parents just for that good old COVID change of scenery for a couple of days. And then uh, I was like, yeah, it made sense. I was exhausted when we got back on, on Monday and then just it felt like a long week. And then because of our ambitious episode here, like I had pre-watched a lot of the uh, all three of these so then i felt like i didn't have anything on the docket so i just felt really disconnected so um I'm excited to do this one. Very excited. Yeah, it was the right call. I mean, I first of all, thank you to all of our listeners, followers, everybody out there who patient with us as we kind of made that last minute switch. Uh, you can either thank or blame my wife, Elissa. She, I mean, you know, and it was true. So my, my daughter turned one on September yeah. 3rd. You know, so we were celebrating that over the weekend. You had gone out of town. Yep. It had just been a really crazy week anyway. And, you know, it was, Alyssa was like, look, you're not even thinking about your first break until Thanksgiving. You know, you guys have been going really hard. You know, you're going to burn out. More than that, like you were saying, this is an ambitious episode this week. Yeah. It just worked out where we really needed that extra time to pull this one together. And I th I think it's going to be the better for it. And I'm so yeah. grateful that she, like, pushed me to, to take that break because I think it let us kind of recoup, but it also let us try to plan out an episode that we are proud of like i think this yeah. is gonna i'm really excited about this one yeah we have a ton a ton a ton a ton yeah. to try to cover this week so we're gonna dive in we're gonna dive in with both feet and it's gonna yeah. get crazy so first of all as always spoiler alert this is the deep dive so we're going we're saying whatever we want to say. So if you have not seen any of these three movies and you do not want them spoiled, hit pause and go watch whatever you want to watch before coming back and checking out this episode. Otherwise, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Where to watch these movies? You can watch John Wick by renting or buying it. Uh, believe me when I tell you, just buy it. It's worth every penny. I watch this movie multiple times a year. For me, it's it's among my all-time favorites, hands down. John Wick Chapter 2 is available now through cable subscriptions, right? So if you have Xfinity On Demand, I think maybe even YouTube TV, uh, or through Hulu if you have it linked with live TV, the only issue there is it's going to be a TV edit, so you may want to rent that one as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want, you don't want any TV edits on any of these. Yeah. John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. So as the movies go on, the titles and the budgets expand. So chapter <laughs> like, is going to be John Wick Chapter 4, colon, Parabellum 2, hyphen, 
the one that's next. I don't know. It would be whatever. It costs the most. Yeah. So John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum is available through HBO. We're going to go film by film. I'm going to give sort of the details for John Wick. We'll dive into some content there. And then I'll give the uh, budget numbers and all that kind of stuff um, as we talk about the next ones rather than giving you all three at once just for you to forget it in an hour's time when we finally get to John Wick chapter two. So John Wick or John Wick chapter one, it is as it has become retroactively known, uh, was released in 2014. It was co-directed by Chad Stileski and David Leach both making their directorial debuts, having entered the film industry as stuntmen, then coordinators, and even a few stints as second unit directors or ADs, assistant directors. Um, Stalinsky had been an AD on films like Sherlock Holmes, A Game of Shadows, The Hunger Games, and Captain America Civil War, among others. You know, some think that Stalinsky was the lone director because his partner David Leach was uncredited for John Wick. But it was decided early on that while both of them were going to direct, only Stalinsky would get um, the credit as director, while Leach would officially uh, given a producer credit. Leach only co-directed the first installment and has since gone on to have a pretty fruitful career as a straight-up director. Um, He's directed films like Atomic Blonde, Deadpool 2, and The Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. So this was both of their first feature films in the director's chair and has obviously launched amazing careers for both of them. But it's not like they were totally new to the game. Uh, John Wick was written by a guy named Derek Kolstad. This was also his first writing credit, at least his first major writing credit, and definitely his first feature film. He also wrote the two sequels, but it seems like he's not going to be writing Chapter 4. Instead, Shay Hatton will be taking over, and he's among one of the team, one of the members of a team of writers who worked on uh, Parabellum. So it seems like Colstad is going to bow out. I, I believe he's actually working on the spin-off TV series, The Continental. So it may be why, at least in large part, uh, yeah. why he's not going to move on with the franchise. Interesting. Now, in terms of cast for John Wick, there's a few names that are franchise-wide, and we'll, we'll do that first. And then as we talk about each movie, we'll add about the characters that are introduced and either become franchise-wide members or just sort of for the one-off. But uh, for John Wick Chapter 1, obviously, Keanu Reeves as John Wick, Ian McShane as Winston, Lance Reddick as Sharon or the concierge, and John Leguizamo as Aurelio, the chop shop owner. For chapter one, we get Michael Nyquist as uh, Vigo Tarasov, the big boss guy, right? The mm-hmm. Of the Russian mob. Um, yeah. Alfie Allen from Game of Thrones fame comes in as Yosef Tarasov, the son and our, our baddie. Willem Dafoe as a fellow assassin named Marcus. Dean Winters. Uh, the uh, as some of you may know him, the mayhem guy. Um, he's Avi, the uh, Vigo's kind of right hand man, and then even Adrian Palicki comes in as Perkins, another assassin, um, making a making a appearance here. I, I do like her. I wish I wish I'd see her in more stuff. Yeah, I thought maybe there'd be a little bit more for her. Uh... <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dean Winters as Avi might have been the weakest character in that whole. Uh, it just I agree. He doesn't doesn't 
fit. I just, I, I had problems with that. And I will tell you what, Alfie Allen is perfect in this role because he looks like a sniveling little baby. And that is exactly what his character is. Yeah, well, and, and anyone who's seen him and who has seen him in Game of Thrones already kind of knows him as that character. So yeah. it, it was an easy slip in to make as oh, just awesome. sort of this gross sniveling garbage so, okay, in terms of budget, this movie, I mean, it's no surprise that it's rocking all these sequels. On a budget of $20 million, this film brought in $86 million. And this is on very little, right? And, and we'll yeah. talk about this a little bit, but very little marketing, you know, in terms of what we're used to seeing. This one really fell under the radar for a lot of people and has just massively exploded on the back end um and become what it has become but to make a a profit of 86 million on 20 million dollar budget that's nothing to to sneer at that's that's pretty Mm -hmm. successful given that you probably didn't spend a ton in marketing brief synopsis John Wick is a retired hitman or a contract killer he worked for the Russian mob it seems at first it's in this movie it seems like exclusively that he was a hitman for the Russian mob. Yep. He led that life for years, met the love of his life, a woman named Helen, and wanted to get out. And in order to get out, he was given an impossible task which he accomplished and gained his freedom from the mob and from that contract killer life, married Helen. They had a beautiful life for I believe about 5 years. And right. And then and and she dies tragically of some illness. We actually come into the movie on the day she's being buried. Um, He receives a gift or a delivery, which is a puppy. And God, this movie's so good. (laughs) He gets a puppy uh, delivered to his house with a card from his wife. Like her last thing was sending him and and the the gist was you know to help you learn to love again you know i don't know a day later he's at the gas station driving his epic mustang and we see uh yosef come up and admire the car ask him to buy it it's not for sale they come into the house that night yosef and his cronies and they Uh beat the crap out of him when he's not expecting it they kill the dog they steal the car they bash up a bunch of stuff and keanu reeves just starts off goes down and he he takes out all of his gear from that old life and he is a man on a mission for the remainder of the film sole eyes on killing joseph for killing this dog and and stealing his car but the and that's just we'll we'll get into more of this in a second but this movie is game changing for me but the rest of the movie we see john wick basically showing us the reputation that we're led to believe in the beginning um, yep. in full effect. And yep. and it's absolutely, absolutely epic. Uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's it's amazing. I'm sp- yeah. This movie makes me speechless. Like, oh, yeah. I, I just mean, sit and marvel at it. It is flawlessly executed in the beginning because... All of this is set up and you're right along for this ride in this beginning when 
we don't know any of this stuff. We don't know that he is this badass. He gets his butt handed to him by these these guys who break into his house. And not until they try and ditch his car the next day. And they're suddenly like, oh, wait, where'd you get this car? This is John Wick's car. And you're like, well, who, who the heck is John Wick? Like, what's the big deal? And you see the fear in these, like, in these crime bosses that are like, John Wick? Like, what? And we don't know what that means at Dude, this point. And that's the beauty of this movie. You're not really told anything from the yeah. start. You yep. just uncover it as Yosef uncovers it, really, right? He has no idea who John Wick is. I mean, yeah. John Wick has been out for five years. I mean, I don't know. He's what, in his 20s? I find it hard to believe that he doesn't know who John Wick is, actually. The more that I think about it, if we say he's 25 and he's this involved with his father's business... Is he, though? Like, five years ago, he doesn't know about Baba Yaga? I, I, I don't, don't know. know that... I don't know that he's involved. I think he's just living his best life. <laughs> living and his best life. His, his, I was his, hoping you said that. His dad just kind of calls him out for being unfocused and undedicated. Well, so. no, but there's remember there's a scene where he, he comes in thinking he's giving his dad a report on something that yeah, he did that his dad true. sent him to do. Right. And, and when his dad slaps him around, he's just like, I did it like you asked. And he's like, that's not what I'm talking about yeah. now. But you're but again, it is true. I mean, that that doesn't matter. But the but the point really is what you were saying about how, you know, we don't know who John Wick is and yeah. we learn through the reactions of the people who do. And and so the, the kids bring the car to the chop shop to Aurelio and Aurelio immediately recognizes the car and he knows whose car that is. But even he doesn't say anything to the kids he slaps joseph in the face you know they get all strong and and are like do you know who we are aurelio knows that it doesn't matter what they just did is a death sentence to anyone involved and and so then i mean my favorite part is when uh vigo calls aurelio and is like i heard that you struck my son he goes yes i did and he goes can you tell me why he goes well he stole john wick's car and all vigo says is oh and hangs up and it is i mean it's amazing and that's the point what this movie does so incredibly beautifully well it says so much without saying anything isn't that a song like you know me man Probably. when you say nothing at all that song's about yeah. john wick right yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyways, um, so that's a really, really long-winded synopsis. But let's jump. Let's jump into some of the review and a few fun facts. Right. So this film and the franchise as a whole is ripe with all kinds of trivia and fun facts associated with each of these films. Right. I mean, we could talk about the hours spent by Keanu Reeves, Halle Berry. She comes into it later, and uh, you know, really any of the actors that that are involved in any of these in mastering amazing skills so as yeah. to serve as their own stunt persons and keep uh, the look and feel of every single take authentic. We yep. could talk about how even though there are more deaths in these three films than perhaps any other 26 films ever made combined, yeah. uh, <laughs> but yet there are zero civilian deaths in any scene of any of these three films thereby allowing us, the viewer, to accept John Wick and his world of assassins without yeah. negative judgment, right? These are little things that they think of and put in there. We can talk about that. None of that's important. And trust us, there are some scenes where there should be 
and could be massive collateral damage. Right. But that's a testament to the skill and marksmanship of these assassins. But I think one thing, the one thing that stood out to me above everything else is how this franchise did the impossible from day one. Right, Because unlike everything else we've seen the past few years, John Wick isn't based on a comic book. It isn't based on some old character collecting dust in the back of some major studio warehouse. It isn't based on any existing IP of any kind. Anything that you think you know, any comic books, video games, whatever, all came after this film. This is the brainchild of one man and became a decade-defining franchise by an impossible route. I mean, it's just proof that Hollywood is still at its best with an original idea, right? Right. I mean, I'm over the rehashes and, you know, the live-action remakes or, you know, a franchise add-on. But it's not just that I'm tired of, you know, another Star Wars or, uh, you know, Disney's got to make Mulan and live action. It's not just that, but I'm tired of the fans and I'm tired of the stories mm. of been like, oh, let's OK, let's do another origin for Super or for Spider-Man or Batman or um, it, let's uh, add a new trilogy to Star Wars. And then you have to deal with the insufferable fans that are like, oh, this is not how I pictured it was going to be. It's like, well, it's not. It's why that that's not what this is about. It's about somebody else telling you a story. And I feel like we've gotten lost in all of that with these franchises and things. And we've just lost our way. Um, to me, this is going to end up in a, a canon sort of like how I feel about Indiana Jones. It's like, this is hmm. about this character and I just want to watch this character. Right. Yeah, uh, I think that's an interesting analogy. Yeah, it's just it's a new concept, you know, with this with this universe, and it makes you, it maybe frustrates me a little bit more than it should, but that it's just that you want more original content. Well, and I think I think absolutely you're right. I mean, there's a place for everything under the sun, right? And sure. and there's a world for the Batman remakes and a world for the next Star Wars installment and and all of that. But I, I think the dangerous ground we've been treading for so long is that that's what the only thing that exists and there's a yeah. a path that the studios have been walking for a very long time where you know they need a successful ip behind anything that they yeah. go to sink any money into right because they want a guaranteed audience like twilight say what you want they were based on books that had a massive massive following same with the hunger games same with i don't know anything that uh, who's the guy who did the notebook who does yeah, all these Lord of the Rings. white people I mean, falling in love books. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, well, yeah. and the, the Lord of the Rings, sure. But like, I mean, at least that's a massive epic. Oh, Nicholas Sparks. Yeah, <laughs> so all of these things, they want some type of a proven entity that says, yeah. all right, if everything else fails on opening weekend, I'm going to get, you know, a hundred thousand screaming teenagers to pack out a couple of theaters and I'll yeah. make some money off of that. Yeah. That being said, 
how did John Wick come to be? So let's do a little bit of backstory as to how this even got made because, again, this is an impossible path. It is a one in a billion shot that this happens for so many reasons. Screenwriter Derek Kolsak came up with the idea of a retired hitman coming back to the game to seek vengeance. We talked about that. Originally, the movie was called Scorn and the hitman was in his 60s. Obviously, they made some tweaks, but it took him less than a month to pen the first draft and begin shopping it around. Supposedly, he had three offers in no time. But in December of 2012, Thunder Road's Pictures bought the script with discretionary funds. Why is that important? So, I don't know the details of the deal, obviously. But given that they bought it with cash that they just had laying around, right? <laughs> discretionary funds. Yep. Um, leads me to believe that they didn't pay very much outright for the rights to the screenplay. Now... Traditionally, say that you are a screenwriter and you have a killer screenplay. You have a studio who's interested. Let's also assume that this is your first screenplay, as was the case with our dear Mr. Kolstad, right? Um, So first off, you are an unproven entity. And in this case, you're also peddling an unproven product. Mm -hmm. This is what Mm -hmm. we were just talking about. There is no existing IP to serve as any type of guarantee that the studio is going to turn a profit on this movie. There's no guarantee that a bunch of nerds or teens or whatever are going to pack out this theater. Therefore, the studio is not going to fork over buckets of cash outright to option your screenplay. Instead, what they're going to do is enter into what's known as an LPO, or a Literary Purchase Option Agreement. I know there's an A at the end. They're called LPOs. I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I argued with this uh, for hours with my my grad school teachers. Still an LPO. They won't change it, no matter how much complaining I do. Now, (laughs) there are a lot of details that go into an agreement like this, but the gist of an LPO is this. The studio, like I said, is not going to pay a ton of money for your work. You're unproven, your work is unproven, all that good stuff. But they don't want you going anywhere else with it either. So, because it's still a good idea, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what they do is they get you to agree to give them exclusive rights to your screenplay for a set amount of time. So for the sake of argument, let's say they want you to sign an LPO that gives them exclusive rights to your screenplay for 12 months. Now, during this time, they can get to work. They can see if any talent might be interested in the film that could help them sell your unproven work. Keanu Reeves, for example. Um, Mm -hmm. They can pursue financing, all kinds of things. In this kind of traditional agreement, the studio says, we're going to buy your script and we're going to pay you $100,000 for sake of argument. But they're not going to pay you anywhere near that when you sign the LPO. Instead, they're going to pay you a fraction of that agreed sum. It could be $1,000. It could be $5,000. And that's going to give them the rights for 12 months. Now, they're also going to include language in there that they can extend for another 12 months, once, twice, three times um, at that same price or less, or maybe for no additional money at all. It just depends on the situation. Sure. Okay. Now, if the movie gets financed and goes into productions, the studio is going to pay the agreed purchase price minus anything they've paid to you to date, right? So if they gave you a grand, now they're going to give you $99,000. 
Um, but there's not going to give you 99 grand on day one. Most of these have language that says it'll be another small payout when production starts. Maybe they give you 20 grand on the first day of principal photography and that they're not going to pay the bulk of the money until production wraps and the studio knows that they have a film in the can everything's digital but they have a film in the can uh ready to go to market right this could be years yeah years sure. from the day that they quote bought your script right now at some point if the film is never made the rights revert back to the screenwriter that's how lpos work and then the screenwriter can go out and shop it again the problem with that is that now you've lost years on your project for barely a penny for yeah. your time and you now have to start all over and other studios are wondering well if paramount had this for three years like you're saying you wrote this in 2012 now the rights revert back in say 2017 why why didn't paramount make this they had yep. the chance to do it so it's it you know it, it kind of becomes tainted right so what does that all mean for john wick i know this is a lot of information i just find it fascinating so yeah it's awesome it's my podcast deal with it um so what does that all mean for john wick well to me what this type of sale indicates is that colstad agreed to sell john wick like i said then titled scorn to thunder road pictures for less than what he may have made overall with another studio if another studio had actually made the film but rather than going the traditional route, he sells it to Thunder Road and probably got paid outright, maybe even negotiated some points on the back end, all because Thunder Road Pictures committed to making his film immediately. Mm. So Colstad being a genius said that I'll take the guaranteed, let's say $25,000, right? So maybe Thunder Road says, we're going to pay you 25 grand today, right now. You give us the script and it is ours now. There's no LPO. There's no, we're going to yeah. get it for 12 months. I'm paying you 25 grand hard cash today. You're never going to see another penny for this script. Maybe we negotiate one or 2% of the back end producers gross profits but what they really guaranteed was that they were going to actually make his movie, which gives him uh, a chance at getting some of that back-end money. It gives him a chance at royalties, and it gives him a chance of launching a franchise, right? This is yeah. a great deal for a guy who's never written anything before. Having sure. a film you wrote actually made is its weight in gold. The next yeah. thing he writes, from now on, he's no longer Derek Kolstad, the guy who's never written anything. He's not yep. the guy peddling a screenplay no one's ever heard of by a guy no one's ever heard of. He's now the writer of the John Wick franchise, right? Yeah. So yep. so it's a fantastic deal for someone like that. And like I said, maybe he got part of the deal is that he has first crack if any sequels are made. He gets first crack at the script. These types of things happen all the time. I know for a fact in John Wick Chapter 4, he's getting a uh, based on characters created by credit, mm -hmm. which okay. maybe is going to give him a slice of the pie for in, per in perpetuity, right? Yeah, um, sure. All of this, right? A lot to digest. But after all of that, Thunder Road now has the script. And by May of 2013, they bought it in December of 2012. By May of 2013, they got Keanu Reeves attached to lead. Now they have a script and a big name. And now they can go shopping for money, uh, which they're going to get. And all they need is $20 million. 
So Reeves helps to work out the script and do a bunch of stuff. And the other big thing that he does is he brings in two stunt coordinators and ADs, Stileski and Leach, who had worked with him as his stunt doubles in the Matrix films. And his idea was to bring them in to work the stunt choreography for John Wick. But what he was really hoping is that once they read the script, they would be able to totally visualize it and they'd want to direct it, which is exactly what ends up happening. So in the end... A guy who had never written a feature (laughs) film before, let alone sold one, came up with an idea that is totally original and based on no existing IP. He sold it to a studio who got Keanu Reeves attached within months, and they took a chance on two stuntmen who had never directed a feature film before and together created one of, if not the, greatest action film and film franchises of all time. Like I said, I gotta go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go uh, just write something. This sounds pretty easy, dude. Impossible, (laughs) an impossible route. The number of reasons why this movie never happens are innumerable compared to the one in a billion shot that we are given this movie. It's absolutely insane. How this like played out. the lottery. I mean, essentially. I, mean, I, I think it's probably easier to win the lottery. You'd yeah. have a better chance. Yeah, right. I mean, the real truth is, I, I don't know. I mean, he had done some writing and stuff. Do you know how hard it is, how difficult it is to even get your script in front of someone who matters? Yeah. Yeah. Like, script readers are, are trained to just say no. Yep. Like, one typo, one whatever. No, no, no. We're not making this. And probably the first no is, I don't know this person, right? Like, so no. Anyways, it's amazing that this even happened. Now that we have the background and some appreciation uh, for this film, uh, let's dive in a little further into John Wick Chapter 1. Number one out the gate is that Colsat is able to finally, like we talked about, create something different Mm -hmm. here we see the neo-noir style in full effect right john wick takes us back to classic film noir spaghetti western style filmmaking which has been so tragically missing in modern cinema you know and again as we said in the age of superheroes remakes reboots it's just immediately what feels different about this movie And again, like I said, this is why I think I I get hit with that Indiana Jones reference. It's just got that kind of feel to it. Right. You know, know, number two, the writing. Anybody who read this script saw magic, lightning in a Mm -hmm. bottle. Now, like I said, it got got tweaked a lot. (laughs) Not twerked, but tweaked. Um, (laughs) Right? Because it was an older guy at first and, and, and all this stuff. And Keanu Reeves had a big heavy hand in that really refining this character, which I think comes into play. We'll talk about that in a second. But this is a film that is just raw and emotional and real, right? At its core, it's a completely ridiculous concept. And the film reminds us of that every single chance it gets. Take aside the fact that we have to believe and and like, love a a hitman who's going to (laughs) go around and just straight you know, gunfu everyone he comes across, headshots everybody, like is the greatest killer of all time, right? Except all of that, all of this death and destruction over a car and a dog. And the film takes 
every opportunity to make that point. You know, everybody asks, like, it's a freaking dog, you know? And But that's the point, right? We as the viewers see so much more than that from the start. Yeah. And that's because of Reeves' acting and Kolstad's writing. They make us really believe his pain and loss and anger and all of that that is really driving our anti-hero in this film. Yeah. And, you know, you and I had talked about this concept a while back um, and you kind of filled me in on sort of the basically the synopsis that we, we gave earlier was the synopsis mm-hmm. that you gave me. And I found it harder to watch the first 20 ish minutes uh, again, not not necessarily on the first round because I knew what was happening. But this second time I watched it, knowing how this movie opens, um, just knowing that you know, the dog and the car are an impetus for what happens. Um, and all of this is set off just because Joseph is a, a little baby bitch. Like, it's <laughs> just, it is so, it is, it just, it's gut-wrenching. And I really almost wanted, I just, like, had my finger on the button to push past that opening mark and just be like, okay, I don't need to see that again because it it, it hurts. It's just... It does. Ah. There's there's a part of me that just screams like there's not a world that exists in my mind, right? There's not a world that exists where I can fathom going on a monstrous killing spree just because some guy stole my car and killed my dog. Yeah. But I buy into him so hard you know because it's not a dog this is the dying gift of his wife who was his world his redemption arguably the redemption of his soul which now brings him back out into this darkness like there is so much in this film in terms of the metaphors and and themes and just and they dive into some of that as it goes on but there's something special about this one. The subsequent films get a little bit more cinematic, mm-hmm. a little more heavy-handed in more of a traditional film style, whereas this feels like an indie movie that really focuses on character development and, yeah. and the relationships between these people. And it's it's astronomically, it's so, it's so good. I mean, just thinking about that scene, Right. When and the dog gets kicked on one side of the I mean, who knows what happens to it. Right. But we hear it sort of cry out and then not bark anymore. And when and he's unconscious on another side. And when he comes to the dog is laying next. He's had this dog for 36 hours. The dog is laying next to him. There's a blood trail leading there. Like that's his wife. You know, that's, that's his wife's body laying there next to him. It, I mean, it might yep. as well be. And it's just, it is so visually compelling, this this movie is just written so visually. There's so little dialogue. And even the dialogue right. we get is visual. It's all on-screen text, basically. Yeah, so, and I think there's an amazing scene that cuts back right around, right after this scene, really, when... Vigo is explaining to to Yosef who he has messed with. Mm -hmm. And he says, John Wick is relentless. He is focused. But every time he says a word, it cuts back to John with a giant sledgehammer busting through the concrete in his basement where he's buried his tools of the trade. So his guns and and things. And you know from that moment, you're like, 
oh, this, this, it's over for everyone. Because he just says he's relentless. Smash. He's focused. Smash. And it was just, that just grabbed me that second time. I mean, that's just, you know, in that moment, this is guy you don't mess with. It's so powerful. And on yeah. top of all of that, it is, my favorite part is when Vigo calls John and he's in the basement and he uh-huh. answers the phone and doesn't say a word. Vigo does no. all the talking and then eventually is getting nothing back and says, let's not resort to our baser instinct. John just hangs up. And then Avi mayhem, he Uh turns and says, what did he say? And he goes enough. He didn't say a word, but he said everything. This movie is gorgeous in its writing. So, but on with all of this too, it has heart and a heart that I don't think I've ever seen in an action movie before or since. And that includes all of its sequels. Yeah. And it's real, right? And that is mm-hmm. mainly thanks to the direction of Chad Stileski and David Leach. Coming from that stunt background, they're able to see the vision of this film from a stunt-centric perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, it's similar to what we discussed in our 1917 episode and how Sam Mendes was able to bring a director's point of view to screenwriting and create... Yep that visually stunning film, right? It's the same thing that this movie feels like the best action movie of all time because it is. And that's thanks to that stunt centric mind that the directors bring to the chair, you know, and additionally, along with that, you cannot say enough about Keanu Reeves' commitment to performing nearly all of his own stunts. He spends months perfecting this gunfu style, precision driving, marksmanship, hand-to-hand combat, the whole nine. And it's so that every single action sequence is fully practical. He, there's no CGI. There are no cutaways to hide a stuntman's face. You see Keanu Reeves doing everything that makes it real. And it makes it feel real because minus the body count, it is real. It is yeah. him doing it. The fight choreography in this and the fight scenes feel absolutely completely unique to me. It just, it doesn't feel like anything that I've seen before. It's very unique. And what I think it is, is that I've noticed that very little is wasted. And that is not, that is within the movements. And yes. that is within the, the use of weapons in ammo and things like that. There is nothing extraneous. Everything has a purpose. Every shot has a purpose. John rarely shoots for the sake of shooting. There's no, like, we're just going to hide behind things and fire random shots. Right. His Every single shot lands. And the only time I noticed in Chapter 1 that is obvious is when Yosef escapes his, his little baby bath time. And he's kind of running up the stairs. And he even says in that scene, I want another bottle. He screams, I want another bottle. Like, Maybe wants his baba. Is, yeah. He's he's running up his, a set His of baba Yeager. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's going to get that for sure. But he's like running up a glass stairway and John is kind of shooting the panels out. And that's one of the few times that you see him just kind of shoot for the sake of shooting. Everything else is precision and precise right and he just handles everything and the first scene where he takes on these 12 guys that bust into his house on the subsequent night of this first intrusion it's just it blew my mind it was like nothing i had seen in an action movie at all it was just so precision um it was 
it'd be sexy. <laughs> there are times, a few times in the subsequent films as well, where we know exactly how many rounds he has, right? Yeah. I think it's in the sequel where, you know, he's given a gun and, and told he gets seven rounds. Mm-hmm. And a couple of scenes later, when he's actually firing the weapon, you can count. And it is seven and done. There is yep. so much. There are so many movies, right, where it's like people just have bullets in perpetuity. Like it is just endless, unlimited ammo, and you just yeah. you never see anyone reload. You never see anyone do anything. And that is not the case here. So no. much attention is paid, like you said, not a round wasted, not a movement wasted, and also nothing taken for granted, which really speaks to the this feeling of an expert level. Assassin. It's 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 incredibly incredibly done, and I think with that too, it's perfectly cast. Keanu Reeves is John Wick. He is quiet yet emotive and focused. This was hands down the role that Reeves was born to play. John Wick, we talked about it, has so few lines, but yet Reeves is able to portray so much and say so much. We fully understand his journey and relate, even without having everything spelled out for us. It mm-hmm. takes a special kind of actor and a special kind of screenplay to do that. I was amazed at how expertly Reeves does that and pulls that off. And I'll be honest, I think I was probably put off from this series because of the casting because mm. you're like ah, Keanu Reeves Keanu it's like Reeves. Ah, all right I know um, Kung so, Fu right so it's yeah. like I never I never I never engaged with the films for that reason and I totally wrong I mean it, it's just I, there's no better way to say it than than what you said is that he is John Wick and yeah it's 100 percent and yep. it makes sense, right? We talked a little bit about how he did have a very heavy hand in forming this character, working through the rewrites with Colstat, and 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 that shows he brought himself. And we gotta remember, Keanu Reeves has a life riddled with tragedy. Mm-hmm. This man understands the pain yeah. of loss, and and to be able to bring that personal experience to this project comes through on the screen and elevates this you couldn't have brought in anyone better this casting it may be the most perfect casting of any film of all time just because of that you know just having that that eye for the stunts but also that life experience to pour into this and just the demeanor everything about it he is Mm -hmm. total perfection yeah The last thing that we'll talk about with John Wick Chapter 1 before we dive into the other two in rapid succession. We're spending the, (laughs) and we said this before, we're focusing primarily on the first one and then we'll sort of build with the second one and the third one. But, uh, you know, so don't worry, we're, we're getting there. But there is still a lot to go, so bear with us. But in John Wick Chapter 1, the other key thing is the introduction of the lore behind this assassin Mm -hmm. and the world and that kind of stuff. Chapter 1 is simple, easy to follow, even with the entire world bubbling just below the surface. Yeah. And what we're about to jump into is crazy in the sequels. And and in this film, we're introduced to that primordial ooze that's going to birth one of the most epic and complex worlds ever built on screen. And that's the one of these assassins under the high table. 
Now, what's amazing about chapter one is that none of it is explained, yet you accept it all as you go. We are introduced to these gold coins used as currency in this world. We aren't told anything about them. We just watch them used and accept it. You know, Mm -hmm. we also see the Continental, a sacred ground where assassins can rest and plan without fear of being killed, right? You cannot conduct business on Continental grounds. Mm-hmm. These are all just the surface of what's to come, but it adds just enough curiosity and complexity to this film that makes it so much more interesting without ever becoming distracting, right? Yes. We have the heart and all that soul behind a character that's bringing badass action, and now we have this intrigue that just makes it so much richer, but yep. doesn't pull you away from it, which is something we've talked mm-hmm. about in other movies, right? They yeah. try to sprinkle <laughs> yeah. in a third element and it pulls you out. Um, yes. You know, if there had never been a sequel, you would probably still be very happy with what you got and not be mad that every detail wasn't painstakingly explained to you. But that doesn't take away from what we're going to dive into in a second. But but yeah. still, it, it speaks volumes for how well this is executed. Yeah, I mean, to specifically answer that question, if there had never been a sequel, uh, my answer to that is really yes, but. And that has... (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of evolved over time. Because yes, for pretty much what you just explained, but also kind of what we dived, what we you know talked about in uh, the about time episode is that there really isn't a need to explain the, you know, the why or the how or any other machination. Um, it's told well enough that everything is easy to take at face value. We get it right. Mm-hmm. He was prolific. So he, it makes sense that he would have a case full of this currency. He's, you know, we, we see it established that, Hey, um, you know, can you do this thing for me real quick? We see that later in, in chapter one where he bumps into an old friend and says, hey, can you babysit Perkins while she's tied up? Here's a gold coin. All you have to do is, is watch her. Um, so it makes sense that he's been paid in this currency and he's he's pretty wealthy with, within within this community. Um, so I don't you don't you don't need anything more than that. It's it's all explained perfectly well. Mm. Um the complaint that I actually heard recently uh, uh, regarding just TV shows, though, really kind of feeds into kind of my thought process on that, on this, um, is that uh, I was talking to my boss today and he was saying how he doesn't like it when you get into subsequent series seasons of a TV show and now you're too bogged down with all of the trying to explain you know the machinations and all the layers like um you know we were kind of talking about the boys and season two you're getting more into the the machinations of of the Vought enterprise and things like that and you kind of long for that free flowing anything can happen action of that first series and or first season and that's what we see here right there's really no there's no box that this really fits into yet um so i thought that was really interesting but that all said, on subsequent viewing of Chapter One, I felt like it was really quick and less grandiose after watching Chapter Two and Chapter Three. Right. Um, it's really, it's really akin to how I feel when I watch the Home Alone series, the first two. <laughs> I have a tendency to watch Lost in New York first and then go back and watch Home Alone. And Home Alone One, while it's still a great movie and I love it. It's just not as big, right? There's like the jokes aren't as funny, the the traps aren't as elaborate. 
but it's still a great movie, you know? So it's sort of, that, that's why it's like, yes, but. I'm totally fine if there was never a sequel for this. It, it, it didn't, I didn't need anything else explained to me. Um, but I'm happy that there are because I, I just want to see more of this action a lot of the time, you know? I think that's really, really well put. And I think it really transitions us beautifully into chapter two because you're absolutely right. John Wick chapter one, when it came out, was unbelievable. Two and then three, Parabellum, are very much studio films. And Mm -hmm. John Wick is an indie film. John Wick is real. It feels real. John Wick 2 feels like a movie, an awesome movie, an excellent action movie. But it, it doesn't have the magic that John Wick had. And so with that, let's dive in to John Wick Chapter 2. Going back real quick, as I said, we'll talk sort of numbers and stuff. John Wick Chapter 2 was released three years later in 2017. That same cast that we talked about coming through, um, but introduces Ricardo Scamarcio, uh, I don't know, I hope I said that right, <laughs> at least close, as Santino D'Antonio, uh, the big bad in this one, Ruby Rose, as Ares, Common yeah. comes in and plays Cassian. Another so uh-huh. Ares is Santino's like henchwoman, right? Um, yes. Common plays Cassian, who is another assassin guarding Santino's sister. And Lawrence Fishburne is introduced as the Bowery King. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a nice uh, reunion with uh, Neo and yeah. Morpheus. Yep. So the budget for this one goes up, right? We were twenty million dollars for the first one. We're now at thirty and a half million, approximately, for john wick chapter two but the worldwide gross goes up as well in fact it more than doubles so with a with a 10 million dollar increase in budget you double your theater profits and that Jeez. speaks to the legs of the first one right yes. while that while that box office wasn't impressive that 86 million necessarily people caught it after the fact kind of like that boondock saints type of a of a yeah, deal sure. so they bring in 173.4 million dollars on the sequel so let's talk a bit about the sequel what happens john sort wick of. is kind of retired then we see him coming in and and getting the car i could do without that whole intro scene yeah, to me, it felt like a clumsy way to connect the threads. We kind of forgot all about his car at the end of the, the first one. So it just, Absolutely. He actually gets yeah. a new car at the end of the yeah. first one. Right. He gets the charger, but he destroys right. it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. He does. He wrecks it pretty it just, quickly. <laughs> it, it wasn't about that in the end, right? Right. Like, it's just, I don't know. It, it felt very bare. To, to make that you know what it felt like it was sort of like a like a season one recap but done in movie form like because it's it's vigo's brother he's yeah. never introduced in the first one he right. never even plays a bit of a role in the rest of the sequel he, right. he's in five minutes and and it just feels i love clumsy you're absolutely yeah. right it's just this clunky mess at the beginning where you could have just started this with him at home and santino ringing the doorbell yeah because i mean he yes exactly because he says at the end of the first one to his new dog he says let's go home yeah and that's it that's it. There wasn't any thought of, oh, crap, I got to go figure out the car situation. Now. And especially when chapter three, which we'll get to in a sec, opens up in real time where chapter two left off, like set that trend. And yeah. But you know what? There's there's a bit of and again, I think there's there's a studio hand in this. 
but you start to be able i can't i can pull out very very few small pieces of fat from the first one there's not yeah. a scene that i watch that i feel like ah, that could have get left that like that could have gotten left on the cutting room floor you know yeah. but in the sequel and especially in the third one, there is yeah. a lot of fat. And and we see that too with the run times going up and all that kind of stuff. Like there's just content we don't need. This is one sure. of them. But yep. the real movie starts a few bit a few minutes in. Yes. After this nonsense in the beginning, where we're introduced to Santino D'Antonio, who is, you know, this Italian boss um who has come over and presents us with a new little element of the lore the marker so john wick came out of retirement in chapter one to get his revenge that brings santino to the states to new york to get john wick to help him do a task and what we find out is that when john wick was trying to do his impossible task to get out he asked santino for some kind of help we don't know what it is and john gave him a marker these are giant gold and silver tokens they kind of open up like a pocket watch there's a little diabetes tester on one (laughs) end you prick your finger you do a blood thumbprint on there on half of the interior the other half is blank so the person who you're giving the favor to holds this and at any time they can present it to you to redeem that favor you cannot say no you cannot refuse them he goes on this quest and basically what it is is santino his sister holds a seat at the high table and the high table is governing this whole world of assassins and santino wants that seat their father was in the seat at first he died and left it to the sister uh santino wants it and he wants john wick to kill her obviously she is super well protected by Cassian, especially played by Common. So John Wick doesn't want to do it at first, ends up agreeing because he cannot deny the marker. He goes, she's dead, and then battles ensue because after he does what he's supposed to do, he's relieved of the marker. But uh, Santino sends a contract out for him because, you know, what would it look like if he didn't try to avenge his sister? And so now, instead of just letting it lie, you've pissed off John Wick. And if you kill his dog, how you think he's going to feel about you putting a $7 million bounty on his head? So the hunt goes on for Santino. That's basically what the sequel is about. And it ends with John Wick breaking one of the cardinal rules and doing business on continental grounds when he kills Santino at the continental. This movie has arguably one of the greatest. I want to just focus on the positive here, right? Because like I said, they they each lose a little bit. This is definitely the stronger of the sequels. I think Mm -hmm. the storyline, when you actually get into it, makes sense. He would have gotten help. There's this marker thing. I'm in, man. Like you've already sold me on coins and continentals. Hit me with a marker, baby. So I can understand how the story continues with this one. But again, it's it's just not as powerful for me. But uh, it arguably has one of the greatest scenes in the franchise. The art gallery scene where John Wick, it's like one of the penultimate scenes of the movie. Mm -hmm. John Wick is hunting down Santino at this gala event it is near a mass it is a near masterpiece of filmmaking yeah. here we see the whole gun fu at its best the choreography in the scene is masterful as john wick is just plowing through armies of guards 
in yep. this art theater with tons of bystanders, the whole nine. Juxtapose that with the shots of Santino walking through to exit the gallery and, you know, with gunfire just never ceasing behind him, never drifting off in the distance. It just keeps pace with him, which yeah. means that Wick is alive. He's still coming. He's killing all those waves of men that Santino sends. We see a lot of it, but some of it we just hear through Santino's perspective, right? So it doesn't matter how many men he saves. He's never slowing. And you see the weight of that played out beautifully on Santino's face. Yeah. There's a wide shot. Oh, my God. You It makes you want to do one of those, like, especially with the whole Italian thing. You want to do one of those, like, finger kiss Chef, things you know a little chef's kiss yeah like yeah, yeah. um <laughs> i had a job one time where my boss did that to me and it was the funniest thing that's ever happened that's a story <laughs> for another podcast so but there's a wide shot where you see like 10 guys just running past santino to the fight and and santino just looks at them passing and gives this face it just fully says that he understands that it just doesn't matter like it's not enough there's not enough bodies to throw between him and john wick yeah. and it is beautiful i love this scene it's jaw-dropping it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous absolutely so in addition to all this, we talked a little bit about it. Then there's the world building, right? In chapter two, we're introduced to the concept of the high table in general, which is, like I said, that governing body over this entire criminal underworld, um, which we now see extends well beyond our borders, right? In, in yeah, chapter one, yeah. it's very much, it could just be sort of this Russian mob thing, you know, specifically just for them. Yep. This is like all assassins everywhere, which by the time we get to Parabellum, apparently everyone in the world is an assassin. And uh, apparently every major city has a continental. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we <laughs> see that here because yeah. when John goes to Italy, he goes to right. the Italian continental and, and yep. so on. So, uh, you know, we're also, like I said, we get introduced to the marker, that large token that signifies that debt being owed and must be paid. You know, when John Wick refuses that marker, Santino burns his house to the ground. But yeah. that's all seen as justified by the high table. That is the weight mm -hmm. that this thing carries. So I think, like I said, what chapter two loses in heart, it gains in the world building for sure. And it's yeah. that attention to detail that's going to carry a film from being a subpar sequel to an amazing indie into being an actual defining big summer franchise, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think they tried to pull that the, the heartstrings a little bit with the house being destroyed, right? Like, but it's, it's sort of really, the, yeah. They show you like, the picture of the wife, and yeah, it's you know, it's the last kind of you kind of like, oh, now he's really got nothing. And I think when he pulls her bracelet out of the ashes of his nightstand, and maybe yeah. the dog, maybe the dog's collar is there, so you're like, eh, I get it. Um, well, they were like, we yeah. can't burn another dog. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, he's got his his dog is is with if the new dog is with him. So right. it's like, you know, eh, it's it, it tries. It, it doesn't hit home. Um, but I, I, I think you're right. You've got the good balance now where there's enough on the table to be like, OK, I'm still intrigued about this this world. And we're not suffering under the weight of bureaucracy yet. 
that we're going to struggle under in, in, in part three. Yeah. Which we'll get to now, but I will say too, that, you know, we, you, like you were saying how, um, you know, you and Doug were having that conversation, especially about the boys. I think it's, I think it's a perfect analogy. I've, I've struggled with season two of the boys and I, I adore season one, but you know, with this, there's really nowhere else to go. Right. Right. Like John Wick, you know, you can't kill his wife twice. You can't kill his dog twice. You can't do the same thing twice. You know, Paranormal Activity versus Paranormal Activity 2 suffered a similar fate. Right. Paranormal Activity was awesome. It was awesome to watch in theaters. It terrified me half to death. Paranormal 2 didn't because it was just the same things. So and so they also had to go on this weird tangent of which they like. I, I don't know. Whatever. We're off yeah. topic, but but you know the the point that I'm trying to make is because you can't really draw on that well twice in the same way. Uh-huh. The only option for you is to now say, okay, how does the outside world going to play into this and influence him in new ways? And the only way you can do that is by building this elaborate, yeah, you know, underworld network thing. Which is it weaker? Absolutely. You know, is the franchise as a whole weaker for it? No, I, I think it's actually stronger for it. But yeah. for me, like Lost in New York versus Home Alone, right. it really just, for me, it's funny because you and I are kind of the opposite. It seems yeah. to me like you would really enjoy John Wick Chapter 2 more than John Wick because of the big sort of cinematic whatever. Whereas for me, it's the opposite. You know, this this sort of highlights the magic of chapter one and makes it stand out for me even more. I watch chapter one several times a year. I do not watch the sequels more than that. So makes sense. I mean, I think just before we transition further, I, I think, I think I had a brief moment where you said, what other direction can we go? And I was like, well, would you go reverse and show his, miraculous feat to get out in the first place maybe but i don't think that avoids the world building right agreed because you're still gonna have to talk about the marker like that still comes into play obviously because that was a big story of him getting out in the first place so yeah i I, it just in that case i'd rather go linear right than than go back let's leave the mystery you know beyond i mean they are kind of doing both they're developing the tv series the continental so, yeah, you know, yeah. but but no, I completely I completely agree. You do have two options. I think this is the the better path. You know, yeah. we want to see that aftermath, that that grizzled John Wick. I don't really care about the the cold-hearted assassin. What makes yeah. him so yep. special is, you know, it's it's the Han Solo effect, right? He's the ruffian yeah. trying to be good, but yeah. can't escape who he kind of is inside. Yeah. So, anyways, all right, how many more movies can we bring into this? <laughs> uh, but with that, we'll dive into John Wick Chapter 3 very quickly. So John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, was released two years after uh, Chapter 2 in 2019. Now, this is where we see the first real change to the actual production team, right? Where they had three additional writers on the team, one of which we talked about, Shay Hatton. Um, you know, he will seemingly be taking over the franchise in Chapter 4, but for Chapter 3, we also had Chris Collins and Mark Abrams along with Derek Kolstad. So it was a team of four writers this time, which 
make sense when we start yeah. to like uh, this one kind of falls apart for yeah. me anyway you know it, it's just it's never a good sign and it and it makes total sense that it muddied the waters a bit there's just too many cooks too many cooks on this one too many cooks <laughs> as for the cast <laughs> as for the cast uh Lawrence Fishburne becomes a franchise regular and is poised to play a large role in chapter four additionally we have the introduction of Halle Berry as Sophia Mark Dacascos as Zero um Asia Kate Dillon as the adjudicator Angelica Houston as the director and Jerome Flynn as Barada. Jason Manzukis, I'm just going to mention him because I like him. He's TikTok man. Did not yeah. like him in this movie, but I'm a big <laughs> Jason Manzukis fan. Good for you, buddy. Um, so uh, budget for this one. Again, we went up to, what, 30 and a half million on chapter two, up from 20. Yeah. This one doubles and then some. 75 million. Because now you've got to pay all these people. Right before yeah. you only had to pay Keanu Reeves, right? Everyone else, peanuts. Now you've got Halle Berry, Keanu Reeves, Lawrence Fishburne. You know, it's stacking up. Uh, Ian yep. McShane. So, but okay, so, so sure, you double your budget more than double, right? Two and a half times. But you bring in, they brought in 173 on the last one, 326.7 million dollars. <laughs> These movies print cash folks yep. and and again remember a nobody wrote this and it is based on nothing and guys who never directed it direct them and yep. they are bringing in hundreds of millions of dollars there is well, no wonder why we're getting chapter four right and now we're borderline going into the thing that we were against in chapter one right saying like oh this is such a fresh idea there's no ip behind this this is great and now oh yeah it's become its own its own thing it's, now it's its yeah. own ip <laughs> yeah right exactly <laughs> and has launched many others right i was actually having an argument with my buddy uh rico he was like no man it was based on a comic book don't forget to talk about that i'm like bro it isn't the comic books yeah. came after the movie now chapter three and stuff those things were all in existence but no, but yes, this is that's what I mean. By the time we get here, and already by the sequel, this is a full-on studio production. This is no yeah. longer that indie magic. Parabellum picks up right where we left off in Chapter 2 in real yeah. time, right? So yes. John Wick has killed Santino. He got excommunicated from the Continental. That means he cannot receive services. There's like a bounty on his head from the high table. Every assassin in the world is looking for him. He takes off running at the end of, of Chapter 2 because Winston, the guy who runs the New York Continental, gives him an hour before yeah. he makes the excommunication into effect. When we pick up in chapter three, he's running, and we're yep. in that hour of him trying to get himself sorted out before things really hit the fan. After that, now we see John Wick versus High Table. This is, yeah. you know, he has broken the rules and killed a member of the High Table on, con like, this is a double whammy, maybe even yeah. a triple. And so now everyone is after him, and he has to try to find a way I don't know, to kill everyone or in this movie, try to have all of that forgiven. Um, yeah. And it's basically just him. It, it just becomes like a Royal Rumble. Like, oh, yeah. it's just John Wick and versus the world. I mean, and add on to that, that Winston has sort of broken rules, too. You know, we it was established, right. you know, pretty it was established in 
towards the end of one when Perkins breaks the rules uh, at the Continental, she's gunned down, and that's the end. And so Winston gives John an hour? And doesn't kill him. Only yeah. excommunicates him. Yeah. Which, and and he kind of speaks to that a bit, but you're right. Yes. So now there's the role, this new role of the adjudicator. So the high table yeah. sends this emissary to sort of exact justice on their behalf, uh, you know, uh, okay, I, I get the idea of the character, but you couldn't have found a worse person to play it. it like, yeah. it just annoyed me to no end. And just this sort of, this cold prissiness was just not, it, it didn't fit. People that we've been introduced to so far, they feel high class. Right. Yes. You know, they feel refined. It's it's uh-huh. like uh, it's like the gentleman. Right. This yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. This is a world of murder and slaughter and all this crazy stuff. But it is class. She just comes off as robotic and cold and unfeeling and just not just doesn't fit the mold. Yeah. I mean, f- funny story. I was immediately shaken. <laughs> <laughs> when this character comes on, because I know her professionally. So she... Interesting. Did, yeah, I, she did a couple of shows uh, at the Shakespeare Theater Company when I was there. Um, so when I saw her pop up, I was like, that's... And I knew exactly who, her name. I remember her name distinctly. So I looked it up, and of course, yeah, it absolutely was. So I, that also hurt that character for me because, like, now it's somebody who I have interacted with, who I have seen personally. <laughs> was and she like, just eh. as bad as Shakespeare? You can't I, say that. You I, can't answer I, that. I can't, I don't, what she, if she does a show at Ford? Like, <laughs> she was. Uh, she played. I want to say she was Ariel in the Tempest, if I remember correctly. But it was like one of the fairy ones. It was either it, so. Was she? Uh, was it like a robot version? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I just that hurt it for me too. Where I was just like, now I know this person. It's like you know when you see yourself on TV. That added to this weird bureaucratic role where suddenly you know that high class wasn't stuffy and now it's like there are suits that are controlling this mayhem i was fine in part two where you know there are unspoken rules where things govern themselves right we're (laughs) we're outlaws we're baddies but we've got a set of standards but now there is an overarching body of law that's that is responsible for keeping these people in line like why who decided that how what is the control do they have their own army somewhere that's just gonna i yeah this is this is what I, i what i was referencing earlier where we're getting we're getting buried in the bureaucracy now, which is we, hurting the freedom. And we do find that they do have their own army. I'm going to say something real yes. quick, just so that we don't have to address it in the rewind for the errors and omissions. We'll just correct it now. So Asia Kate Dillon, again, did not care for her in this role, did not care for her in this movie. I have zero problems with her personally. I think I can right. speak for Tim. But right. uh, I, I think I said she a bunch of times. Uh, Asia Kate Dillon is actually, she... Uh, She's non-binary, so oh, yes, and yes, I just said yes. she again. So she, so they, they. don't uh, refer to themselves uh, using pronouns of gender. Yes. Uh, they right. say they. So apologize for using the wrong descriptions, the wrong pronouns. So we will be much better moving forward as we go through this episode. But now we don't have to apologize and address it in the future episode 
We're sorry right now. You know, and and so diving back into this, yes, right? We do find out that they do have sort of their own army, like a SWAT mm-hmm. team or whatever. Yeah. Now, additionally, so, so you touched on it. Winston gives John Wick an hour. That results in the adjudicator exacting justice and says that he gets seven days to get his affairs in order. He's no longer going to run the Continental. They're going to place their own person there. Additionally, Lawrence Fishburne, the Bowery King, gave him seven bullets. So he gets seven days. And each of them, as they refuse to relinquish their power, the adjudicator goes forward and, and exacts more justice, right? So the Bowery King is stripped of the of the Bowery, but also receives seven cuts from Zero and his, you know, katana of justice. And then <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and Winston decides not to. In the course of these things happening in New York, John Wick goes on a journey and further takes us deeper into the lore. We meet Angelica Houston, who's the director of, I forget what it is now, the Academy, I think, maybe. Um, the Ballet Academy. Yeah. It is, but it's also where they train these assassins. John Wick, yeah. we kind of learn, sort of, that he was raised there. The tattoo on his back, they all have it. It's a ticket, which is essentially yeah. a free ride out of New York to safety, whatever they need it to be. Um, John Wick uses it to take him uh, overseas to Morocco, I think. And he's trying to find uh, Halle Berry's character, Sophia. And Sophia runs the Moroccan Continental now, but used to be an assassin, a friend of John's. You know, we learn a bit about her, and he needs her to take him to Barada, played by Jerome Flynn. And he needs Mm -hmm. Barada, who runs the Mint in Morocco, to tell him where the Elder is. And he needs to see the Elder, because the Elder can forgive him for his transgressions and bring him back into the fold. So he finds the Elder, and the Elder cuts off his ring finger. And then John commits his life back to the darkness and agrees to kill Winston so that they'll pull the contracts on him and bring him back into good graces but he will serve the rest of his life and die as a murderous assassin at the whims of the high table so he goes back to new york which we just spent all this time leaving and he finds winston and does he kill him of course not because john's a good person and they team up and defend the continental against the invading high table armies so now john is certainly not back in their good graces and winston gets the opportunity through this to come back into the fold and show his strength and power the adjudicator says well now you can keep the continental and winston betrays john wick and throws him off the building the bowery king takes him into the sewers and they're all pissed and seen right so (laughs) this is this is the movie and i give a bunch of that detail because i want to show that this is the worst of the lot for me right this is a film that feels like now it's just casting names for roles for the sake of people just wanting to get into the franchise angelica houston um is is one of them i love her but i didn't need her And more of that in a second. We already talked about my dislike for the adjudicator. Although, admittedly, you know, that role bothered me less this time around. But I think that was simply just because I had seen it before. And so my expectations were so much lower. It's not that I thought it was better. I just wasn't expecting as much. I mentioned earlier, too, the casting of Zero with Mark Dacascos. Like, for real? Are you kidding me? Iron Chef America? Like, no one else was available. 
it's just whatever you know i thought the world building gets a little too large here you know as much as we don't need angelica houston we don't need that whole part of the elder in fact you know you could have cut we talked about cutting room floor scenes right you could have cut everything from right before we meet the director all the way until we're back at the continental with winston yeah because you just didn't it served we watched so much movie when I saw this in the theater, I felt bored. We were just yeah. watching John Wick walk. There's even, look, Halle Berry is great in this, right? She's fantastic. Yeah. And and the dog stuff is interesting. Oh, I love the dog stuff, yeah. Absolutely. But there is a whole fight scene in Morocco where I'm like, is this called John Wick or is this called Sophia, Queen of Dogs? Because yeah. I watched like a 20-minute fight scene where I'm watching Halle Berry for 20 minutes. And then she yeah. disappears. Right, She yep. drives him to the desert, spits in his water, and we don't see her again. I mean, is she going to come into play later on? Probably. But for the purposes of this movie, it's a whole exercise that is not fruitful at all. At yeah. all. Because all of this is to take him to the elder, and then in the end, he doesn't even do anything with it, right? It's boring and unnecessary, and we could have gotten from A to B without this entire segment of the movie, yeah. because it accomplishes nothing that John couldn't have worked out on his own or with Winston, right? He could have, he could have been excommunicated, the you know, been killing people in New York. The adjudicator comes, Winston finds out, Winston, with his powers, brings John Wick, sneaks him back into the Continental and says, they're telling me I got to get out of here, I'm not going anywhere, let's team up, and we could have jumped right into the defense of the Continental. This movie could have been 40 minutes shorter. And that actually is one of my favorite parts, is when Sharon takes up arms like yeah. he's he's like one of the he's like that side character you just you enjoy every time he's he's just a cool guy he's you don't think much of him i love how he takes care of john's dog uh in the second and third movies um and then he's a total badass himself yeah when he has to be you Absolutely. know and like even just in the first one when he calls he's like we've had complaints about your room sir like it's just he's he, <laughs> he's so really sorry cool about the hour <laughs> right like I loved that part, but you're you're spot on because this guy is controlling things from a hut in the desert. Why? Right. What, what's what's the purpose? You get so lost, and there's another marker involved here somewhere, right? Doesn't John John, John presents it to Sophia because he yeah. she gave him one for helping her get her daughter to safety. Yeah, and he cashes that in for her to take him to Barada. I mean, so now she's just as in trouble as everybody else. I mean, like, we are, Ooh, well, are so t- tangled in a mess now, right? Right. It's, but I don't yeah. think she is. And and so this is the one part I do want to say that I get out of this. You know, so chapter three really, like, it raises the stakes. Now John Wick's killing people with horses. He's riding horses yeah. and fighting yeah. ninjas on yeah. motorcycles. You know, there's it, it, there's when there's nowhere else to go. He assembles a gun just to shoot one person. One round. He takes 20 mines. Dude, $70 million in budget. 
easily, easily 62 million in sugar glass. Like yeah. he breaks through so much glass. It's unreal. And I even had... the fight scenes, they, they brought in some NBA player to play like this giant that he fights in the <laughs> library. And it's just this slow, stumbling, bumbling fight scene. This dude's a basketball player. Why is yeah. he in this movie? Like there are legit giant actors who can do this. Yeah, you yeah. know, I, I, I don't know. I so, but but the one thing, the one redeeming part of this entire chunk of movie that we could have cut is this interaction with Barada because, you know, I think it gives us so much context into the world building that we've been mm -hmm. seeing. We get a lot from this scene with him. Number one. John Wick is excommunicated, and Sophia brings an excommunicated guy, get, first of all, gives him passage to her continental, then brings him to Barada at the Mint and all this kind of stuff. Now, Barada doesn't punish her. I mean, he does in the end because he says for payment for, for this, he wants the dog. Mm. But because John Wick holds that marker... I think that exists even outside of excommunication. Do you see what I'm saying? She yeah, cannot uh -huh. refuse his marker. And mm -hmm. so, and I think, I think Jerome Flynn, who plays Barada, <laughs> I just switched to his real name. I think he understands this in the movie and, and accepts that, but still has to exact a fee. Now, the other thing that we get from his speech is he gives us a little bit more insight about the markers, but also about the coins. Right, He runs the mint in Morocco. And so mm -hmm. he talks about what these things are. And there's a key line where he says that they carry no monetary value. They're instead a representation of a contract, of a social contract and understanding, right? The rules, which is why, because, you know, Sophia's not giving gold or, or whatever, he wants the dog. There must be an exchange, a, a show of respect, right? And this really made so much sense to me and was the perfect way of explaining one of the elements of this franchise that has existed from film one without explanation, right? So specifically the coins, we see coins exchanged for everything. Yeah. A gold coin gets you a room at the Continental. A gold coin gets you a bulletproof suit. A gold coin gets you an array of weapons. It disposes of a body. It babysits a rogue assassin. And it buys you a freaking cocktail. How do all yeah. of these things cost the same? It's a good point. And the answer is they don't because it's not about money. It's about respect. And the giving and accepting of a coin symbolizes that mutual respect between two members of this dark world. Yeah. Winston has been saying it all along. What separates them from the animals, right? The rules yeah. and, and all this kind of stuff. And this is that moment. This is that refinement, right? So it, it, it's why no matter what the exchange is, you never, in any of the movies, you never see a coin rejected or service not given. No one ever says yeah. to John, oh, I'm sorry, John, in the five years that you've been gone, the cost of corpse removal has increased to two coins per head. And this is yeah. really a great way that they chose to handle this, and I absolutely love it. And it's a really sly way to slip in this context. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it's the value is if he can pay a gold coin for a cocktail, that must mean that he has has a lot, right? Right. Sort of, you know, like it, it, he has this level of respect. So if he has them 
to use that sort of plays into that but you're you're absolutely right and i I hadn't really thought about that he just knows i mean he's got a crate full or he has a crate full of them until they get melted but then he's got another store of them somewhere somewhere else but it is absolutely fascinating now that i think about all of the different pieces that are used for those yeah yeah no, it's it's really, really cool. And it's a really, I mean, again, it just speaks to what is so awesome about this franchise where you are, you can keep this alive, you can keep this going, you can keep it interesting, you can keep yeah. us talking just yeah. with these little things here and there. And, and they're playing the game perfect. I mean, for as much as I didn't care for Parabellum, that is in in context to or in comparison to the films that came before it yes. as its own standalone thing i mean that first of all that's not the topic that we're talking about here we're talking about the john wick trilogy we're talking about the franchise so far if we we're talking yep. about parabellum you can argue it's a fantastic action movie you can sure. argue the same for for chapter two and you can obviously argue the same for chapter one yes. in the end i love the franchise and but each of the sequels does suffer only from the existence of John Wick Chapter 1, right? Mm-hmm. That is the thing that really limits the sequels. Without John Wick, the others absolutely stand alone. It's just that John Wick Chapter 1 elevated the game and raised the bar so high for me. The rest fall short. Parabellum falls the shortest, but still gives you those little nuggets that keep you coming back and, as much as I hate it, make me so excited for Chapter 4 in 2022. All that being said, you know, the world building and and everything is is just fantastic. I give John Wick Chapter 1 a 9.5 out of 10. I give Chapter 2 an 8 out of 10. I give Parabellum a 7 out of 10. But as a whole... I mean, dude, John Wick is almost a 10. And the only reason I dock it a half point is the stupid ending where he goes through being epic gunslinger against everybody and then he fights Uh, Vigo with like his bare hands and gets stabbed up a bunch. Stupid. Go in there, shoot him, and let's move on. Be John Wick. Don't break character. (laughs) And so, um, you know, but as a whole, I'd say the franchise is an 8 out of 10 on average. Um, Yep. I think it's absolutely a must watch, you know, but if you just wanted to watch one, you can absolutely watch chapter one, never pick up another sequel and live a perfectly happy life. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with any of that. I think that is absolutely true. I watched them in pretty tough succession. (laughs) That's why I I went back. Yeah, and I watched the first one again just because I wanted to separate out because watching them that close together, some of it blurs. I mean, you just get that's why I, I you know, highlighted that that thought that like there's just that was all that happened in chapter one because there's so much right. that, that comes after that. I was like, Oh, okay. But a hundred percent, like, you know, if uh, I could absolutely live without the sequels do i love that they exist because i get to see more of this character absolutely a hundred percent um you know i got to see a fourth indiana jones uh do i ever care if i see that movie again no it was absolutely horrible let's be clear parabellum is way better than than kingdom of the crystal skull yeah okay i just (laughs) want to make sure yeah okay let's let's clarify you know it's you're you're happy to see more of that character yeah did we lose the heart do we lose some of the intrigue? You know, again, we spend that whole first movie not really knowing who John Wick is. And 
now you expect him to come out on top, right? There's nothing that's going to stop John Wick now. You know, we're sort of left a little cliffhangery at the end of Parabellum because last we see, he's you know being wheeled off in a shopping cart. So he's probably going to be fine, (laughs) but we know he's going to be fine. You know, Um, so we've lost a little bit of that that element. That heart is 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 gone. but do you want to just watch him run roughshod over people? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no question. Yeah. Um, sadly, again, we we're becoming the thing that I hated at the beginning. We're becoming those people that are now like, wow, well, it's just not as because now it's no longer an original idea, right? It's yeah. an IP, and we have feelings about where it should go. Um, but that doesn't change the fact that it's still something different. It's still something unique, and it's got it's got a color and a feel and a, you know, a, a high class sheen to it. It's, they just feel different than, than anything else. And absolutely a must watch. I'm mad that I never picked up on these before. Um, I'm so thankful that I have now. And I mean, six out of 10 for chapter four, still not terrible. Oh, <laughs> so... if, if the trend continues. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, um, you know, we shall see. Um, again, if we're going to continue to see that, that those budgets be disproportionately low compared to the money that they're going to rake in, studios are going to make the movie. You know, it, it, you hope that somebody has the balls to pull the plug before we get ridiculous. You know, John Wick Chapter 10 in hell. I, I You know, I don't know. <laughs> that would be wild. <laughs> I hope we John don't make Wick, it there. John Wick does Dante's Inferno. Look, right? I wouldn't yeah. be super mad about John Wick space in space. You know what I'm saying? Because what, what's the moon? Like a third of the Earth's gravity? Just think about think about how much further those bullets will fly. There's no <laughs> air resistance. Like, I mean, guns work in space, man. So do they? We do, did Space Force. Ta- space Force taught us that guns don't work. In space. So Space Force are a bunch of idiots created by a moron. <laughs> Um, the, I was actually, it's so funny just the other day I was watching, um, what's the astronaut's name? He, he like breaks down a bunch of space movies. He's a Canadian astronaut. He was like commander of the space station. Oh, okay. Oh, why am I blanking on his name? We'll have to pull it up in the next one, but he does a whole breakdown of how guns absolutely work in space. In fact, the shuttles carry weapons on board it doesn't matter, but the whole idea is, I mean, the mechanism, there's a firing pin, it, it sparks the powder and the chemical reaction, which propels the bullet through. I mean, you don't, a gun doesn't require oxygen to work. Yeah, so anyways, all that, all that being said, John Wick space, it's happening. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's it. I, I think, yeah. I think we've done it. Yeah. I think I mean, we it's... have done the impossible. Breaking down this trilogy. <laughs> yeah. So does what does that mean? Do we never do another? Uh, what do, yeah, we're done. Our, this is actually the final episode of the <laughs> of the podcast. <positive laughs> <book. laughs> I'm just kidding, people. Uh, no, I mean, I think that I think that was great. I mean, I think there's only scratching the surface. I mean, you could get into so much. I mean, there's a lot we haven't touched on. That whole system of filing contracts and the excommunicado oh, yeah and buddy don't all, even get me started on that yeah all the weird like 50s punker uh, it, like tattooed pinups yeah, yeah there's 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 a, a whole lot 
else going on here. Um, you know, some of the more ridiculous fights. We know, absolutely could have broken down each of these movies individually for a whole yeah, episode. Absolutely. Yeah. There's just, there's so much going on here. Definitely check them out. If you like one and it's just not your thing, you're happy you watched that movie. And don't, you don't, no, no need to continue. Um, if you liked it as much as I did, uh, watch the next two and you know you're not going to be disappointed they're they're you know like we've laid out it's not the same uh quality of storytelling per se but uh, they're rich there's there's just a richness throughout this um does it get a little heavy and bogged down sure but uh, it's you're not going to regret it it's it's over before you know it really (laughs) it's just that is true yeah absolutely All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us on this one, a long one. Thanks for sticking it out with us. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. Comment and let us know what you thought, you know, kind of taking a bit of a a more deep dive into um, sort of the the behind the scenes of how this all got made and and all of that. So, yeah, if you dug it or if you hated it, whatever, let us know on Instagram at Paused Reviews, uh, the website, pausedreviews.com. You can email us, pausedreviews at gmail.com you guys know the drill next week we will be back normal schedule with our um our rewind episode uh, don't forget we're doing um can we convince tim and yeah. tim is watching killing joke and batman under the red hood both of them available on hbo max so you can check them out there and join us in that conversation otherwise we'll just be breaking down the stuff that we've been watching over the past couple weeks I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah. I've got some, we've got some good stuff that uh, we've, we're, we're kind of delving into. Uh, so Ooh, I'm excited to pull some stuff in. Yeah. Absolutely. And on the next episode, we'll talk a little bit about our plans for October and all yeah. the spooky treats that we have in store for you. So. <laughs> um, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. We'll catch you guys on the next one. See ya. Peace.